This podcast is brought to you by Modest Coffee, single origin coffee without the snobbery. Go to www.modest.coffee forward slash no bad reviews to see what coffees they're roasting today. Cheers! Hello, and welcome to No Bad Reviews, Colin, a coffee podcast. This is a podcast where three friends, co-workers, and coffee industry professionals get together and give you information about something that somehow ties back to a coffee. Um, <laughs> I just want to say that, that that was a very excited colon. That you yeah, <laughs> I'm trying to like, I'm trying to bring excitement for the colon. <laughs> colon excitement time. <laughs> Hashtag colon. Today's National Prostate Awareness Month for men. <laughs> Is it? It will be, I think. <laughs> We're turning it into that? Yeah, it's an excited colon. <laughs> okay. Um, well, I'm just, I think we're all feeling a little hungover today, despite the fact that I don't even drink. Um, so I was trying to, like, fake it till I make it. That's what I was trying to do. We partied. We had a Halloween party and partied. You guys actually have a reason to be hungover. Mm. I had five Pabst Blue Ribbons. <laughs> I, <laughs> really? <laughs> in memory and memor... What is it? In memoriam mm. for the hard? Yeah. Yeah. I poured one of those out in my stomach. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I'm Jenny, and I run the operations at a coffee company. You thought I was going to say the name of it, didn't you? But no, I cut you off mid-sentence. No, no, I'm Marcus, and I am the lead roaster and green coffee buyer, and you know, just a just an all around swell guy. Uh, people watched me pee last night. <laughs> oh, that's right. <laughs> it was that kind of party. I forgot. Yeah, a pee party. <laughs> that was so funny. Uh, my name is Stephanie, and I am a militant feminist and also the modest coffee bikini girl of the month for three months running. You can be both now. <laughs> yeah. You can be all those things. I think you should be. I think that being a militant feminist is about doing whatever the fuck you want. I think it is. All the fucking time. Yeah. All right. So, business. Um, Actually, it's really important because we have to keep the lights on. Yeah, I mean, the lights are off right now <laughs> because we don't have enough Patreon subscribers. So sad in here, you guys. Candlelight. We're, we're going into winter. <laughs> Somehow we're doing this electronic recording thing, but what we have is, like, we each are on, um, you know, those electric, those stationary bikes that generate power? <laughs> oh, my God. So if you're hearing, like, this heavy breathing, that's why... <laughs> So we have a Patreon that you can support us. It's called patreon.com slash nobadreviewspod, where we have bonus episodes that we give to you for free. Hilarious bonus episodes, yeah. by um, the way. Yeah, I mean, if you just like to listen to us kind of like bullshit and then talk about some random product and let you know what we think of it, we try to make it fun and interesting. Yeah. But you get to kind of know us a little more on a personal level. That's where we like let our true colors show. Do you like how I tell people that they... If they get it for free, if they give us money. Yes. <laughs> yeah, that's a good. <laughs> so you guys can get a, a bunch of trick. free stuff if you just give us a little bit of cash. 
Yeah. Um, so anyways, that's there. And then we also have a buymeacoffee.com slash no bad reviews pod. And hopefully by the time this episode airs, we'll have a new t-shirt on the merch tab that says 87% genocide free. <laughs> are we really doing that? That's great. We are going to do that. Um, that sounds great. So maybe by the time this airs. Also, happy Halloween. Oh, happy oh wait. Ha- it's, no, it's oh, too shit. late. It's too late. Oh, yeah. This episode yeah. is after Halloween. Well, we're, we're wishing you a belated, belated Halloween. Belated happy Halloween. <laughs> yeah. If you didn't listen to our Halloween episode, go back and listen. That was my know. personal favorite episode. I thought it was so funny. Of all funny. time? It's so far. Really? I just Marcus, thought it was so funny. Okay, let me tell you. Every single week when Marcus gets done editing, he's like, <laughs> he comes upstairs and he tells me, this was the best episode. Every episode. I actually Marcus listened to it afterwards. And I was like laughing out loud at the warehouse. And I listened to it twice. I thought it was so good. Uh-huh. I was like, not even kidding. I thought it was so funny. Good. Okay. Do, 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 do. <laughs> that's a that's the theme song to clarifications with jenny i'm glad we finally have a theme song <sighs> first of all we were pronouncing pronouncing pr- remember hung over here you guys have to de- bear with me enunciating uh, pronunciating steph why don't you say it for me were we pronouncing something incorrectly yes. in the last episode yes was it we said sawain Sa- yeah we said sawain it's sawen 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 so when did that change? <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, probably a few hundred years ago. Um, also, I looked into Lama's Day, my very special birthday celebration. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Shomer Yamas. I am not into it. It's like, oh. it's like a festival. It's like before the harvest. It's a before the harvest festival. So they do a fe- like a bunch of celebrations to try to like get good crops. And the celebrations, it involves like feats of athleticism and like <laughs> mountain climbing and shit and i was like all right i'm gonna have to sit this one out so i thought it might be fun but it's actually not that fun huh. i don't i'm not a sports person mm. so you know what let's just celebrate my birthday okay, okay. my birthday we can do that we should can erect we agree? a yes. um a series of mounds on the ground and stand on the mound in the center for your birthday and watch the sun's Rise and set. I love that. In your backyard, yeah. you could... You're doing some landscaping. You could add a few mounds. How hard would that be? I just have to bury somebody in them. <laughs> there goes our editor. Yeah. <laughs> it's a sacrifice I'm willing to make. Um, one other thing. I, okay, so I got to thinking to myself. Like, we talk a lot about, like, because we're here in North America, um, and we've got a lot of Irish people bringing their Halloween over... And then we also have a lot of people from Mexico. So we've got like Day of the Dead, which is a thing. Um, so these are two celebrations that are really big and that we're familiar with. See. So I started wondering to myself, what are, like, there's got to be other ones around the world. So I just looked into it very briefly. And I will just tell you about a few. We've got Diwali. That's oh, celebrated yeah, yeah. in India. Yeah. Um, around this time of year, it is technically celebrated. Oh, my My uh, Indian doctor told me about that. She said it was Indian Christmas. It's celebrated in Aurora, too. There's a pretty big Indian population, especially on the far oh, east side of Aurora. Wait, Diwali or Denali? Diwa- okay, Denali is like a mountain in Alaska, so that's not the same. I think you're thinking of Yukon. While Marcus is fact-checking himself on Denali, <laughs> the holiday that's celebrated in India is Diwali. It's the Festival of Lights, the lights over darkness. And you're right, Steph. We do celebrate that in Aurora because like, I think the far western edge of Naperville and the far eastern edge of Aurora, those are um, there's a lot of Indian people who live over there. Yeah. 
Also, there is the Moon Festival that's in China. Oh. That is... Um, oh, very much Denali is not... That's the car yeah. in the mountain. Mm-hmm. Yep. I right. knew. I'm out. <laughs> so I'll the, see myself out. The Moon Festival in China is known as the Mid-Autumn Festival, and it's the 15th day of the 8th month of the Chinese lunisolar calendar, which seems like a lot... Kind of a mouthful, but it's usually the full moon between September and October. Okay. Um, so this is a really fun festival. There's uh, illumination, so we have light involved, and it's like a time for family gathering. They eat moon cakes, which are fun little oh, pastries. Oh, yeah, I've, I've heard, heard about of those. those. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, the three principles of the moon festival are gathering, Thanksgiving, and prayer. Hmm. Um, let's see, what else do we have? We have a lantern festival in Thailand uh, called the Loi... Krathong. I always hate saying things in another language because I'm so bad at it. So sorry to everybody. Um, that's like a floating la- lantern celebration in Thailand. Um, it's t- for the wishes of good luck and abundance hmm. in your life. Um, also, France has a one, but of course, it's just all arts and culture because that's <laughs> France. Like all the museums stay open all night. Hmm. Yeah. Huh. Yeah. Well, that's nice. Yeah, it is. Um, and then there's also Guy Fawkes. Day in oh, Britain. Sure. You know what? That I read was celebrated more in the U.S. than Halloween was in the beginning. Oh, not the beginning of America, but the beginning of the United States of America. I guess like that would make sense. Um, because of the Protestants coming here, we're like happy that Guy. F- oh, see, I'm gonna say this wrong. They were happy that Guy Fox was arrested so they celebrate guy fox day because oh. they're like yeah fuck you yeah so i they, think it's because they like there's a it was like the attempt on the king's life was thwarted right. and they were like let's long live the king mm. uh-huh. which I i'm kind of like one movie come on that sounds like it was started by the king yeah not the people <laughs> what was that one movie the masks uh, are we going to talk about that Tom Cruise movie again? No. <laughs> the thing in the face and the Guy Fox. Yeah, like the anonymous. Yeah. Yeah, the Guy Fox mask is the anonymous mask. Mm, I didn't see this movie. It I don't know what movie it is, good. but yeah, anyway. Assassin's Creed or some shit. So that is celebrated on November 5th, and um, there's like fireworks and bonfires. It's basically, it sounds to me kind of like the 4th of July, but when it's cold. Hmm. And I don't know. So I guess bonfires would be fun. I don't know. Does it get that cold in the UK? I don't think it gets as cold as it does here. It's a damp cold. Yeah, that's true. Unpleasant. You also have Oktoberfest in Munich. Mm, That's a big one. There's also the Mascara Festival in the Philippines, which is the fourth Sunday of every October. This is a newer one. They celebrate eyeliner. Night what? Oh, um, haha! That's you're talking about for the eyelashes. During this festival, um, it's just a festival of smiles that was created Aww. in 1980. So everywhere, everybody wears like masks that have big smiles on them, um, and people just have a good time. It's like That's a great. positivity festival, which yeah. is fun. It's perfect for us. <laughs> yes, exactly. So we're going to start celebrating that. Um, and then there's another one, the Meh Regan, or it's the Autumn Festival of Harvest in Iran. They have a festival there. Um, same thing, celebrated with bonfires and fireworks. Um, basically, it's just a time for people to, family and friends, to get together and celebrate harvesting. It seems like we need to add some fireworks to, although I shouldn't say that because I know a lot of people are anti-firework, but I feel are like they? Halloween oh, yeah, is missing 
fireworks. Like we could have some really fun pumpkin fireworks. I think throw we need them more up in the air. Bonfires. Yeah. More bonfires. Bone <laughs> Down with that too. Totally um, big ass bonfires. Seems like all of these celebrations are just a lot of it is about light, mm-hmm. you know. And this is really the time of year when you can really s- notice the light is waning, yes. going into winter. Um, so yeah, I think that's kind of cool that across the world, people are celebrating basically kind of the same thing. The same. It's just maybe it has like a different expression or a different core reason, but I think it probably all kind of stems from the. It's getting dark. Like it's time to kind of hibernate a bit. Let's have one big last party before we all yeah. hunker down for winter. Yeah. Yeah, it's kind of cool. Yeah, it is cool. Uh, our listener Kathy sent us a message. She lives out on the East Coast, and she says that Halloween's quite big. Oh, a great! Big deal out there. Good. She sent photos of her neighborhood, and they are. It is decorated much like it is here in the Midwest. Oh, good. I so, saw a headless feeling. horseman in a yard on the oh. way here today. It was so cool. That's a good one. I love the some of the cre- really creative people get in really into some cool decorations. It's yeah, fun to see. It is. It's, it's certainly my out. second favorite holiday. It's fun. I wish we had more time to get all spooky decorated. But I'm kind of like, what am I going to do? Do all this work for like three weeks yeah. and then take it all down? I mean, same thing happens in Christmas. I want to leave that shit up year round if I'm going to put in that much effort. <laughs> if I'm going to put a giant headless horseman in my front yard. <laughs> it's not going anywhere. <laughs> you got to do that on like October 1st. <laughs> yeah, I guess so. Right. I, I always say we should start decorating for Halloween in September when it's still warm. Mm-hmm. I just don't like thinking about the impending winter when it's still summer. Mm-hmm. So I, I have a little bit of a, a love-hate relationship with the fall, yeah. honestly. Me yeah. too. You know what I think we should have? I would like to have lights like that are just Christmas lights, you know, like regular Christmas lights, mm-hmm. but that are color changing and like hooked up to an app so that like you could just string them up and like, you know, Christmas time, change them to Christmas colors. Halloween, have them Halloween colors. Um, you know, Valentine's Day, turn them red and pink. It would I be want best Christmas if you could lights. have them be market lights that change color I mean, because then that could be okay. all the rest of the time of the year you wouldn't get a fine from the city because you there's market lights they're that's cute that's true mm. stupid fucking aurora stupid you know what maybe I like aurora. Christmas lights up all year round yeah. who are you going to tell me what to have on my house yeah. how like buildings this and codes fucking nanny state <laughs> oh my god you guys are watch, listen to them turning libertarian I've always said I'm a libertarian socialist and I've always said I'm an anarchist <laughs> I don't want the government telling me what to do, but I think the government should support all of us. <laughs> I couldn't agree more. That's perfect. Right. Yes. Yes. Which brings us to our episode. <laughs> yeah. So today's episode, um, our listener, Eric, made a recommendation, a suggestion a long time ago. Mm-hmm. Um, he's like, why don't you compare third wave coffee to third wave ska? And I was like, all right, I'm down. Your wish is granted. Yeah. So, hey, Eric, this is your episode. (laughs) Um, So what we ended up doing was we each took a third wave topic that we researched. Steph took third wave feminism. I took third wave ska. Marcus took third wave coffee, which kind of is a good topic for each of us. Yeah. And there's a surprisingly large number of waves in three, third waves. I mean, I had no idea. Yeah. We could probably do a whole spinoff podcast on third waves. <laughs> it's like a wave pool. And let me tell you what else. We're going to top it off during the tasting. We're going to brew our coffee with third wave water and see if it makes a difference. I don't even know what third wave water is. Well, but you're going to find out. It. Yes. Surprise me. I'm approaching it with a healthy skepticism. <laughs> 
So yeah, so this is going to be a weird and fun and strange episode. And also, I just realized last night that when this episode airs, it's going to be on voting day or United States voting day. Hmm. So get to the fucking polls and vote as though your health depended upon it. Yeah, as though your bodily autonomy depends on it. Because That's I think right. it kind of does. Yep. Yeah. I, I mean, for men too. I'm sorry, but like these laws that are have been triggered around the country automatically affect fucking men too. Yeah. Let's go, Brandon. <laughs> <laughs> sorry, I couldn't say that with a straight face. <laughs> Did you guys hear about that cute little kid who like thought like let's go Brandon was like a real like encouraging cheer and they turned it into something sweet? Yeah, because his name was Brandon. Yeah. Yeah. I mean like come yeah. on. It's so cute. It was like an autistic kid or something and he thought of like all these flags were encouraging Aww. him. Aww. So like it started like this small movement of like, hey, let's go, Brandon. Aww. It's like the most heartwarming story. You should Google it if you haven't read about it. It's really yes. sweet. Google let's go, Brandon, and see how heartwarming <laughs> that is. <laughs> but yeah, so listening to this, I hope that this episode inspires you to go vote if you weren't already inspired to vote. Yeah. If everyone who didn't vote voted for a third-party candidate, then we would have all third-party candidates winning. Well, look, Wouldn't that be great? Uh, don't get your hopes up. <laughs> and Steph, you're uniquely positioned to talk about third wave feminism because I understand you have a vagina. I do. I huh. do have a vagina. Thank you for Crazy. noticing. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> you don't need a vagina to be a feminist. That's I know. True. I'm aware of that. That's true. I'm a, I'm a strong feminist. Also, full disclosure, just because you have a vagina doesn't mean you're going to pass a college-level gender studies class, mm-hmm. which I did not. And so I feel a little bit like, uh, what's the word for people who are, like, faking it? A charlatan. No, a poser. Hmm. You know, I'm not sure I'm qualified. I'm not sure I'm qualified in spite of my vagina. Who so. gets to tell you? This is what I'm saying. Who gets to decide who you are as a feminist? Some fucking man in a college university somewhere? <laughs> no. Some uppity woman in a college university somewhere? Surfing the waves of feminism, we start with voting rights. Suffragettes. Suffragettes. It, I always, um, we're going to talk about feminism in the U.S. specifically, but I do always think about the mom from... Mary Poppins and the Sister Suffragette song. Mm-hmm. Do you remember yeah. that? Love that song. They didn't know they were riding a wave yet. They just thought this was going to be it. We're going to do this feminism thing and it's going to be it. They didn't know it was the first one either. Right. They right. didn't know yeah. there'd be multiples. That's right. And it's never going to fracture. It's just going to keep going. <laughs> <laughs> I would just like to say the suffragettes are the reason why I go vote every time. Hmm. Pretty much every time I can vote, I do. Because guess what? Those fucking women worked really hard. Those women um, were not perfect. I'll be honest. They were actually kind of conservative and kind of racist. But we owe them a huge debt of gratitude. And I don't know where we'd be without them. And they were in their own way, in their own time. Pretty fucking amazing. 1848 is the first women's rights convention. That's like pre-Civil War. Wow. Um, Crazy. Seneca Falls, New York. They were, this convention was to kind of figure out where they were going with feminism. Like, what are our demands? What are our goals with feminism? What do we want to try to make happen here? And voting rights were not like a given. That wasn't like an agreed on thing. Voting rights were still a little bit controversial, even at the Women's Rights Convention, (laughs) which is weird. Like amongst the women themselves? Yeah, yeah. 
And oh, by the way, let's just add, guess how many women of color were invited to this convention? Exactly mm-hmm. zero. Exactly zero. I don't, did men of color have the voting rights yet in yes. 1848? No. I thought, yeah. Um, no, because there's still slavery, remember? Yep, that but was I thought men, war. Men got had their, it before. Men, slave men had their voting rights before women. Yeah. Black women. men yeah. had, yeah. yes. So the point of that is that um, women of color are complaining that they've been excluded from women's rights is like an, a very legit complaint yeah. dating back to like literally day one. Right. Uh, there was a black person at this convention and it was Frederick Douglass. Hmm. And he gave a speech encouraging the women there to take voting rights seriously. And it was a huge um, change in public opinion just from that speech. Was he a congressman at this point when he showed up and did that? Uh, I don't think he was a congressman at or this senator point. Or senator or something? 1848? I don't think so. Well, this is pre-Civil War? Yeah. Oh, okay. Cool. He shows up in my segment, too. I'm just kidding. <laughs> oh, that would have been awesome. And mine. Did you know he loves ska? <laughs> <laughs> um, the Quakers were really involved in the women's rights movement. Quakers believed in equality of the sexes way back, like their communities were way more equal than the rest of the U.S. in general. Um, And obviously they were also like huge abolitionists. They were a huge part of the Underground Railroad. They were very anti-slavery. Also, they were responsible in part for the temperance movement. I feel like this is where feminists get their like not fun reputation, like right from the beginning with the temperance movement. That's so, the anti-alcohol movement, right? Yeah, oh, yeah. Oh, is that what that was? Okay. So these things were all tied together, and these things were all being discussed at this original convention as far as, like, what should our main goals be? So voting rights ended up being the one big achievement of the first wave of feminism, but it took 72 years Whoa. to get the right to vote. So most of the women that were at this first convention didn't live long enough to see it happen. Wow. Um. Man, that is some commitment, though. How about it? Yeah, yeah. You Seventy got, years of fighting. I mean, why? What else are you going to do, though? Yeah. Like you want the? Why wouldn't women want the right to vote? Why would they just be like, well, we've been doing this for twenty years. This is too hard. <laughs> right. I give up. Uh, I don't actually give it. Like nobody. It's fine. You don't need my opinion anyway. It's just a really long time to to keep fighting for something, and yeah. I think it's really admirable. Um. Admirable. They were fighting really hard, especially at the end, too. It got kind of ugly. In the UK, the women's rights movements were kind of violent. Like, they rioted, and there was, like, um, a lot of, like, uh, destruction of property and shit like that. In the U.S., partly because of the Quaker influence, it was very much a nonviolent movement. Um, It was all marching and picketing and stuff. I can say, though, that seems to be a big difference between the United States and European protesting anyways. Mm. Like, generally, the United States seemed to be a little bit more about, like, making a lot of noise. Mm. And then, like, look at, like, say, for example, France. Like, they're always destroying shit. That's true. I think it's like, yeah. The French know how to riot. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Sure do. Mm -hmm. Towards the end, women were being arrested a lot. And these are, you know, the people who were able to protest were, like, upper middle class white women who could afford to not work and to spend their time protesting and 
um, they were, it was kind of impressive that they were so willing to put themselves on the line by the end because they were getting arrested and beaten up by cops and held for like months. There were like hunger strikes in prisons and shit like that. Like it wasn't like a slap on the wrist. So it did get kind of crazy at the end. But I guess, like, here's the thing, though. Like, I think it can be a little hard for us to th- imagine because we live a relatively comfortable existence mm-hmm. because of all of this violent work that has been done in the past. That's true. Like, if you didn't have the right to vote and you, like, and after 70 years, you're like, I'm fucking no longer patient. Right. And I'm just going to do whatever it takes to fucking get these rights once and for all. Like, we yeah. tried being nice. And now we're going to go and get arrested. But they were still being nice. They were arrested for just, like, picketing in front of the White House. And then the cops were beating them up. Mm. There's something called the Night of Terror. Oh, my God. So, the yeah, the majority of these women were not especially progressive. And they were working within the political system with, like, men in power who were sympathetic to them. And that's how they thought that they could achieve things. And, yeah, so we see how long that took. 1920, the 19th Amendment gave women the right to vote. There were also reforms in like higher education, the workplace, healthcare that sort of just naturally came along. Women were more interested in politics. Women were more interested in going to college. It just sort of, I don't want to say like, oh, it just happened that women were more represented in all parts of life. That It didn't just happen. It was a lot of work. But um, it sort of happened along with this first wave push for the voting rights it's like it's not just voting it's education it's it's gainful employment it's Mm -hmm. for the same reason i mean we're all we all share the same sort of human common bonds of like wanting to do better right so it does it doesn't surprise me that that those two go along with it right reproductive rights too were something that was being talked about back then the founder of planned parenthood uh sanger margaret sanger is that right um you know she was involved in the first wave of feminism too and although reproductive rights it like wasn't polite to talk about that kind of thing but it was definitely part of the movement second wave feminism early 60s this is like a backlash to 1950s housewife culture Mm -hmm. basically they did a bunch of studies and found that 1950s housewives were miserable There was, like, a lot of depression and a lot of unhappiness, like, being trapped in a suburban home with, like, nothing to do except clean your house and cook dinner. That's why so many women were, like, on Valium and miserable. Alcoholics, too. Alcoholism Mm -hmm. was really popular back then. Yep. 1961, the birth control pill became available, which obviously was just, like, a huge game changer. In 1963, Betty Friedan wrote The Feminine Mystique. And in 1963, John F. Kennedy had a presidential commission on women. And like this, there was a report on the status of women on gender inequality. He had a report commissioned? Yeah. Oh. I mean, John F. Kennedy loved women. John F. Kennedy also loved women. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> so this report, this report on gender inequality in 1963 said... That the way to bring equality to women in the U.S. is to have paid maternity leave, greater access to education, help with child care. Fuck, man. So we're still waiting. Talk about 70-year fight. Yeah. It's fucking ridiculous. We're at, at what, 50, 60 years on? We're 60 years on from that. 
Yep. From that report. Yep. Come on, somebody. It's ridiculous. Like every other fucking country on the planet stop. has maternity leave paid and stop reminding care. me that I want to emigrate. Um, the second wave had a ton of success. I mean, this is all happening. I mean, you know, the 1960s and 70s are so crazy as far as like um, bra burnings. <laughs> That's all I know of the feminist movement. <laughs> Which I fully support, by the way. I do also. Yeah. Um, I hear well, they're uncomfortable. Terribly uncomfortable. Right. Um, there also, but like the civil rights movement and the anti-war movement, all, all of this was sort of happening at once. So it wasn't just like women fighting. It was like everyone fighting. And there's so much fighting in the 60s. Yeah. This also just reminded me that we threw the Chicano movement in, in the oh, 60s, that's too. that's right. That's right. Yeah. Every single person had something to fight about in the 60s and there in was, the United States. It was the culture wars. Yeah. Right? Except for maybe the white fighting. men. They didn't seem to have much to fight about. They you were know? the ones defending. They were the ones defending their turf. They were they were who everybody was fighting against. I guess that's true. <laughs> I guess yeah. that's true. Everybody did have a dog in that fight. Right. <laughs> Um, and there was like a lot of overlap, you know, between the women's rights movement and the civil rights movement. Obviously, there was a ton of overlap and um, a lot got done. A lot got done because so many people were yelling about it at the same time. Um, so 1963, the Equal Pay Act and 1964, Title VII of the Civil Rights Act. These things are important for people of color also, obviously. Things like voter registration requirements and segregation in schools are very much like race issues. But employment discrimination also is very much a feminist issue. Right, because if I give you a job, then that's taking a job away from a man. That was a big argument. Right. Yeah, that was a serious argument. Like, why should middle-class white women who are already in a good position be able to get a job ahead of a black guy who is in a worse position, coming from a worse position? I feel like there's enough jobs for everyone, but, uh, you know, I'm saying that as a somewhat middle-class white woman, so I guess yeah. I'll shut the fuck up. Um, yeah. 1965, Griswold versus Connecticut was a Supreme Court decision saying that states couldn't make contraception illegal because There's contraception an- was illegal in some states. Like, literally, a police officer could come into your bedroom and search for contraception. This I did not realize. Yeah. And this I am appalled. Um, so that was good. That was good that the Supreme Court in 65 said you cannot make contraception Wait a illegal. second, though. We've all seen how the Supreme Court can operate. That's true. It could change at Is any moment. Is this one that can get overturned, too? Sure. Why not? It's on the block. I swear to God. I did not think I'd be so angry this morning. Oh, I didn't mean to make you angry. I'm just... just it's... Um... We're going to need that ska music. <laughs> Lift our spirits again. There you go. Good thing we're starting with fucking feminism. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> I see how far we've come, but how far we have not come at all. Like, every single right that we have earned, like, none of this is, like, constitutionally protected. It's just, like, fucking hanging on by a thread at the Supreme Court. Yeah. At the whim of fucking Clarence Thomas. Yep. Just, like, hold that thought about Clarence Thomas. Do I have to? Because we're fucking getting to him. (laughs) (laughs) Don't do this to me. We're going to have to take a scab break here. Oh, my God. And Um, come back. 1966, the National Organization of Women was founded, and this was a big deal because it, they were so organized. It, it was like there had been different groups, of course, fighting for women's rights, but this was like a legit political organization that really started to make some difference. Um, 1967, affirmative action rights were extended to women. Obviously, anything that helps 
minorities, including women, get more is good. Uh, 1968, there were laws around help wanted ad segregation. Like you used to be able to put in your help wanted ad, no women, no blacks. Women need not apply. Right. I'm kind of flabbergasted. Just go on. Yeah. 72 and 74, there were a couple different education equality laws passed. Um, You have to let women go to your college. (laughs) Um, 1970, Title X. This is a big one. This provides... Is Title X, does that stand for 10? Yes. Okay. This provides grants for comprehensive family planning and health care for the poor and uninsured. So basically, it was a way for poor women to get birth control, hmm. which I also assume will be a problem for our new Supreme Court. Hmm. Um, 1974, Equal Credit Card Opportunity Act. You guys... I was born in 1974. That's like when my parents were uh, becoming adults. I mean, like, if you were a woman, you weren't just, like, guaranteed the right to get a bank. Like, they could discriminate against you for bank loans, credit cards, car loans, mortgages. If you were a woman, you weren't, like, entitled to any of that shit. Like, they could just say, no, you're a woman. I'm not giving you a credit card. Silly lady. Trying to wrap my mind around these extra situations. Yeah. I mean, there were so many, like, little ways that women were held back, you yeah. know, that you don't think about all of them. Um, 1978, Pregnancy Discrimination Act. Of course people could say, no, we're not going to hire you. You're pregnant. Hmm. Yeah. What are you, you going to do? Because you're just going to have the kid and quit anyways. Right. <laughs> uh, 1973, obviously, Roe v. Wade. Bye. Rest in peace. 1971, Reed versus Reed. This was an interesting case that I'd never heard of before. There was a divorced couple and their son passed away. And there was a fight over who would inherit his estate. His estate was worth less than $1,000. So it wasn't a financial argument. It was like an argument over like who should have this. It was obviously like a dark argument, right? About who should have his stuff Uh to remember him by or whatever. But the court said, you know, the law says when it's a man versus a woman, then the man automatically wins. That's what the law said up until 1971. What? And this case made it to the Supreme Court and they decided, well, maybe, maybe women shouldn't just like automatically come second. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> whenever there's These a were dispute. State laws. So this is basically how Kenya, their their laws just haven't caught up. Yes. Right. Yeah, thinking back to America. Kenya. Right. Yeah. Um, you, no, you have no legal claim to this. You're a woman. Right. The courts just like automatically favor men. That's just like hmm. written in. Hmm. Oh, God. Yeah, not that long ago. That's fucking weird. Although like I guess boom, like, boom, boom, though, the actually, second wave. It yeah, was like, boom, yeah, boom, boom. they accomplished so where the first wave got voting rights and that's kind of it. The second wave had so many laws. They were like, we're going to fucking do this shit now. Yeah. Right. Like, here's how I guess hurt. it was kind of a long here's time ago now. Discriminated yeah. against. Yeah, I'm getting old. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, 50 years ago. Marital rape laws were something Ugh. that they really tried so I haven't, and they had like some impact on those, but it wasn't until, oh my God, like the late 80s or early 90s before marital rape was like a legit law in every state. Wow. So that's pretty fucked up. That is fucked up. Um, second wave feminism ended in the early 80s. 
Do you remember the term feminist sex wars? No. It's not as sexy as you think. I wasn't born until the late 80s. I'm sorry. <laughs> right. no, mid-80s. You were a mid-80s <laughs> boy. Uh, Just kidding. Um, <laughs> so this was like a huge split amongst feminists over pornography. Like a lot of feminists feel that pornography is always anti-women. And I mean, that's definitely not the case now when we have internet porn and you can have women taking control of their own Mm-hmm. You know, marketing themselves. It's not necessarily always a situation where women are being taken advantage Exploited, of. Exploited, yeah. And then, like, prostitution and, like, pro-sex feminists. This was also a big reason for the rift. Um, some feminists feel like you just cannot have prostitution ever because it's always putting women at risk and it's always um, taking advantage of women, which, again, is not necessarily the case it's possible for women to work in the sex industry and have control of their lives and it's possible for it to be safe when there's certain protections in place but the fact is that it's illegal in so many places so it's put underground and when you put something underground people don't stop doing it it just becomes less safe this is the argument right here. This is like the argument that really tore apart feminism in the early 80s was like what to do about sex work. And yes, I agree with you that it should be legal and it should be it would be safer if it was legal. And the idea that you can keep prostitution illegal and get rid of it is just hmm. I mean, like, when are we going to give up on that? <laughs> I know. It's like the war on drugs. Right. Exactly. There should be like sex workers, you know, unions and there should be regulations that protect them. And it should be like going to a hair salon, you know, like however, like hair salons, you get a 50% commission on your service Mm. or whatever. You Mm -hmm, know, you have mm -hmm. your book of business and your clientele and like hair salons have to follow certain um, sanitation standards and health standards. And you still have to have standards of how many hours you can work and also can you like imagine though if there was like a brothel like that or just like is no is normal going to a brothel as to a salon sure that would be why not like the wild west i feel like i mean even like when you go in for a massage there's certain you know rules and regulations about a massage you can't like ask for a happy ending you know unless you're in that kind of a salon or whatever <laughs> oh, <geez. laughs> but anyways all i'm saying is that it doesn't need to be the way it is right now agreed yeah, right now it's definitely, like, unsafe. And if there were, like, competition, like, oh, this place is treating me like shit, well, yeah, I'm going to fucking leave this place. I'm going right. to go someplace else or whatever. I thought you meant capitalist, like, happy endings, 50% off. <laughs> I mean, they could run sales if right. they were legal. <laughs> <laughs> Buy one, get one free. <laughs> like, or a punch card. <laughs> uh, like get rewards 10. yeah <laughs> look this could be some tax dollars yeah I'm totally okay with it. totally okay so in addition to porn and prostitution being a big deal just even like erotica was kind of um questionable like the books mm-hmm. danielle Steele mm-hmm. has a problem with that um <laughs> lesbians lesbians were finally um part of the conversation, you know? I mean, obviously there were plenty of lesbians in the earlier feminist movements, but they were, it was like okay to be a lesbian, sort of, by the 70s. Um, So I didn't look too far into this, but it's worth mentioning because it's fascinating. S&M was like an issue for a lot of feminists. There were these 
clubs in San Francisco that were like lesbian clubs, but they were like S&M lesbian clubs. And so there were like women tying up other women, hitting other women, all consensual. This was all, but like some feminists were like really pissed off about it. And there was like a, a lot of infighting between like straight feminist women and lesbian feminist women about how much it was okay to take control of your sexuality, basically. Mm. Still a lot of uptight feminists. So it's still the, the 80s. 80s. Yeah. I went to an S&M club in the, the 90s once. Yeah? Yeah. Was uh, it a lesbian? You know, Actually, the, the person that, that dommed me was a lesbian. <laughs> <laughs> so... Um, and did it change your mind about feminism or? Well, see, my friend was a big dick and, uh, and, and I was like, whatever you do, don't do the nipples. They're very sensitive. And then he was like, my friend loves nipple play. <laughs> it's the worst experience I had. <laughs> Thank you so much for sharing that story. That was, um, I feel like that is like a, like kind of a level of, in a way of like sexual violence. Like when you're been like especially in that sort of a situation, like an S and M um, situation, it's supposed to be built on like trust and like you're not supposed to do anything that violates the other person and like their feelings. Mm-hmm. It's all supposed to be within somebody's like comfort zone, right? And that you just you were violated. That's I was. not okay. You're right. You were supposed to be tapping from the bottom. I don't know what that means, but that sounds fun. Maybe in the right context, I'd try again. Work on that. Work on that. (laughs) This is a podcast. Marcus just winked at me. (laughs) Wink. (laughs) (laughs) So still at this point, early 80s, end of the second wave, um, women of color are still not being given enough of a voice in the feminist movement, which is crazy. There were so many black women in the 60s who were so visible and vocal for like civil rights and women's rights. And it's crazy that they weren't um, just more respected within the movement. It's almost like, oh, you guys got your rights back in like the 1960s. You're good now. (laughs) You know, like that's what I grew up with, like in my liberal bubble town. Mm -hmm. And I think a lot of other people kind of grew up with that too. Like you don't have any more problems. Right. We've solved racism. Yeah, right. exactly. It's over. Um, the other group that's still being just um, really dismissed by feminists are trans women mm-hmm. at this point. And still today, this is like a big issue today. I mean, we're still two waves later, still an issue. Um, third wave feminists, these are women born in the 60s and 70s. I was going to say this is us, but I guess it's me. <laughs> What? I'm a fourth wave feminist then. Apparently. I'm a calm, still water. I'm a sandbar. <laughs> One of those sandbar feminists. <laughs> you had no turbulence. Your life has been charmed. I'm just like, I'm just here in the middle. It's fine. I'm here for the ride. That's what makes you firmly part of Gen X. Are you saying I'm an honorary third wave feminist then? Yes. Yay. I grant you honorary Yay. membership. We'll grandmother you in. Yay. As you are a middle class white woman, I accept you. <laughs> um, 1992, a woman named Rebecca Walker, who's the daughter of Alice Walker, who was a very famous second wave feminist, um, her daughter wrote an article for Miss Magazine, Ms. Magazine, in response to Clarence Thomas being appointed to the Supreme Court. 
which was, I don't know if you're old enough to remember how fucking enraging and disappointing that was. No, I was not old enough to remember. <coughs> I was not there for that. I was there for that, and it was unfucking believable. I was blissfully ignorant of politics at 10 years old. Oh, my God. I was 18, and it was, I mean, there was so much anger and outrage, and that's what this article in Ms. Magazine was about, just like the outrage over Anita Hill's testimony being ignored. And in this article, Rebecca Walker wrote, I am not a post-feminist feminist. I am the third wave. So this is it. Anita Hill... And Clarence Thomas, this is like the beginning of third wave feminism that, that I want to, it's not a trial. It's a. It was a testimony, right? A testimony. Like a, it was like the Senate testimony or whatever. And that was, that was it. That was the spark that the ignited hearings. third wave feminism. Yes. The hearings. So around this time also, we have like guerrilla girls in New York City who were protesting sexism in art. Huh. Which is really interesting. Like, there are so many paintings of naked women in the Metropolitan Museum of Art and so few women artists. So mm-hmm. that was, like, a big, you know, just, like, pointing out, like, we're, we're like, theoretically post-feminist in the 90s, but look at all the places where women are still yeah. so underrepresented. Well, right. I can say that growing up through the 90s and late 80s and 90s, I mean, it was, like, such a terrible time in terms of like societal conceptions of women mm-hmm. um, and like your place as like a woman. Mm-hmm. It's like you're gr- you grow up with these messages that women can do anything and that women can be anything. And so that obviously is a new thing compared to like the 70s. Right. Like do whatever you want. But then you still have these like like these messages towards women of like the very all of superficial superficial in the 90s. yeah mm-hmm. like ways of being are what define you as a woman so it's kind of like you're getting these mixed messages of you need to be smart but you also need to be pretty and like you need to be good in bed and why are teenagers and girls absorbing these messages anyways like right. it's all so fucked up mm-hmm. the 90s the fucking worst <laughs> so yes there needed to be a third wave of feminism that like like, yeah, women have gotten all of these things, but now it felt like, well, men are like, well, if you're going to have all of these things, we're still going to keep you in your place in the bedroom right. or whatever. Yeah, at home in general. It was like, we can beat you down. We can sexualize you. We can tell you that you're not good enough. But also, why would you complain? You have the same rights as us. Right. You can still go to medical school. Try to just be like a really hot doctor, though. Yeah, Exactly. So anyways, third wave of feminism. Third wave of feminism, um, in like a legal sense, accomplished basically nothing. But it was more about like a social movement at this point than it was about, uh, because the legal rights were there. Their main issues were violence against women, including rape and including domestic violence. That was a big one. Oh, yeah. I mean, I can say that too, like in the like 90s. Mm-hmm. It was like... You know, you pass out drunk and you get raped. Well, nobody's going to think twice about that because you drink too much. Yeah, that's your problem. Right. Yep. Yep. Um, Somehow you were asking for it. Like sexual harassment was not until Anita Hill started talking about it. This was not something we talked about. This was something that happened to every woman who was in the workplace. Yep. And it was just like the cost of being there was and to on be the harassed. St- yeah. And on the streets. Um, I think I saw some video. It's like, make sure you tell a woman she looks good. Like a training. (laughs) Otherwise, she might get 
you know, she might get stressed out and not be able to function at her job. <laughs> oh, my God. Was it a real training video? I, 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 or I was don't, it a parody? It might have been a parody. Okay. But it might have been real, too. I don't know. The I don't trust anything on the Internet these days. <laughs> Basically, it felt like at that time that women were not their own beings, mm-hmm. necessarily, mm-hmm. you know? Um, even though reproductive rights were codified law at that point, um, there were still state by state a lot of weird laws regarding abortion rights. So that was a big part of the fight was just like trying to limit waiting periods and parental consent laws and spousal consent laws were a thing then too. Like you can't get an abortion without your husband's signature. It's hmm. so fucked up. It's like it's another level of oppression that is right. kind of like something that I as a dude never have to think about. Right. right? But like women had to deal with like all these all these extra hoops you had to jump through to get something done. Right, you right. Know? Yep. And it's just it seems unfair. Glass, I shouldn't say it seems it is unfair. It's unfair. Thank right. you. Yeah. Um the term glass ceiling, this is something that we started talking about more during the third wave of feminism and how to break through that. Because even though women were being hired and women were in the workforce more than ever, there was still a limit to how many women were CEOs and how many women were presidents of universities and that kind of shit. Jenny's just looking like she's ready to explode. (laughs) Um, I'm a third wave feminist. I know. You might even be fourth wave. I I think I am fourth wave. I was just going to ask, is there a fourth wave? There is. It's coming. Yeah. Um, Unfair maternity leave policies. There are still not appropriate laws around maternity leave. There's still a lot of leeway for companies to fuck you over with that. Um, welfare and child care for single mothers. That was a big thing. Um, this The third wave feminist movement was definitely more inclusive. I can't say that it was as inclusive as it should have been, but it did at least start talking about the importance of recognizing how race and class affect feminism and how those things are all tied together. And still, trans rights were being discussed and argued over. There was a lot of criticism from second wave feminists towards third wave feminists because second wave feminists were still like anti-porn and anti- they didn't, they called third wave feminists lipstick feminists. They just like didn't like the idea that third wave feminists were like, I can wear a short skirt and be a feminist. I can be a sexual person and be a feminist. Like that was off-putting to the second wave feminists. So that was another fight that third wave feminists were having was just like against the women who were still trying to hold them back, who were saying you yeah. shouldn't be sexy. You had, you had women like Ruth Bader Ginsburg who were getting shit done. Right. And they're like, what the fuck? <laughs> okay. So one of the attorneys for Anita Hill later wrote an article about how Clarence Thomas used racism in that testimony. Clarence Thomas said that it was like, quote, a high-tech lynching, what was done to him by Anita Hill, Hmm. which was really offensive (laughs) because Anita Hill is also black. Mm -hmm. And the idea that what this attorney wrote was that basically you're giving the idea that lynching is the ultimate symbol of racist terror. And you may very well believe that if you're a black man, but if you're a black woman, there's a whole other like side of being terrorized that you don't even know about. And this idea that 
there's racism against Clarence Thomas and not against Anita Hill in that same room by that same group of old white men is unacceptable. Mm. So this is like, this is like suddenly people are questioning the large number of men in Congress and the small number of women. That was 1992. That was called the year of the woman. 27 women were elected to Congress that year. Hmm. Like, because of Anita Hill. Wow. It was like this, like there was this like huge fund set up to fund women running, wow. which still exists. But is it the Alice Fund? Yeah, because how many how many women were on that panel, that Senate Judiciary Hearing Zero. Committee? Right. Zero. So yeah, it was like a big deal to like suddenly we have to have women in Congress. We have to because now we see what happens when we don't. We yeah. see how disregarded women are. So that was a big deal. I'm just looking up how many women are in Congress now. 123 women of the U.S. House of Representatives. That's of like two days ago. 27.9 percent, yeah, about, about a third, are women nowadays. Which is still too low, but it's a lot better than it was. Because like um, we're talking like 27 like got elected, so that was like tiny compared to what it yeah. is now. I mean, it's 30 years. It's 30 mm-hmm. years, and a lot has changed. Maybe not enough, but a lot. So basically, like, the the one rule for third-wave feminism is there are no rules. Like, you can be a sexy feminist, or you can be a doctor feminist, or you can be a sexy doctor feminist, and, like, you can be a prostitute and be a feminist, and, like, everybody can be a feminist, and... Telling people, like, you shouldn't wear lipstick, you shouldn't be a stay-at-home mom. That was a big one. Like, you can be a stay-at-home mom and be a feminist. Like, the idea is not that you should be told what to do. Right. That's the whole point. Yeah. You get to choose for yourself. It's a little more inclusive. Yes. Much more inclusive. Fourth wave feminism um, started around 2012, and they they say that third wave feminism is still continuing, mm-hmm. um, and it's kind of both at once right now. Double wave, double wave. Double wave. Um, this is about empowerment. It's about intersectionality, big time. It's about internet activism. Mm. So um, the Me Too movement and trans rights are like huge right now. Mm-hmm. This is like a big deal. Gender, sexuality, trans rights. That's like a big part of the fourth wave feminist movement. So it's just going to be interesting to see how trans rights figure into the the feminist movement. Yeah. I mean, I think that if there's anyone in need of protection more than trans women, like, I don't know who it is. Mm -hmm. Like, (laughs) I think the idea, like, why don't you want everyone at the table? I don't understand why why it can't be completely inclusive. It's just really important to be able to include everyone in these conversations. And I think trans women are women. There, I said it. <laughs> oh my God. What a revelation. Well, yeah, I think that's, <laughs> that's, that's like, the whole that's point, right? Like, so edgy stuff. <laughs> right. Thank you for coming out with that confession in this safe space. But it does seem edgy right now. And it's crazy to me that it is. I, it's like, it, to me, it's crazy that it is too. Who gives hmm. a fuck what somebody wants to do with their lives you know the the one big obvious one obviously is the harry potter lady jk rowling Mm. who's a turf is she like a second wave feminist though like they're already outdated anyways that's true i guess she's a little older than we are so maybe we should just be like i think that that she belongs to the second what's a turf it's like an anti-trans feminist trans exclusionary radical feminist so radically feminist in every way 
Except this, just this one, there's just this one, one issue. exclusion. Oh, it's weird. That going back to being a libertarian socialist, those <laughs> people should have fucking protections under the law, yep. but also everybody should just leave them the fuck alone. Yep. They should have, like, you know, maybe a little extra help underneath the law as, like, a marginalized group. Yeah, I don't know what... I don't know what the ultimate, like, goal is in excluding them. Like, Do you think it could be matter? solved through music? <gasps> <laughs> I don't know, but that is a great question to ask. Kumbaya, maybe? What if we all sing Kumbaya? You have to do it with like an upbeat, offbeat melody that has lots of horns. Hmm. I wonder. And you got to walk in place like with your elbows. Oh, uh, what is that called when you do that with the elbows? When sk- you sk- got to skank. Sk- skank it. <laughs> Oh, I didn't know that had a word. Yeah. Yeah. Sky dancing? Yeah. Yeah, it has a word. Yeah. Um, Yeah, so uh, third wave ska, totally random subject to be compared to third wave coffee. (laughs) Um, To third wave feminism? They're all all waves. They're all waves. Making waves. I don't don't know how it's all going to tie together, but let's just talk about ska. (laughs) Why not, right? So, um, so I guess, like, Steph, what is your impressions of ska music? When you imagine ska and ska culture, what do you picture? I Like, very little. I don't really know much at all about ska. Anything. It's kind of a Anything little bit like reggae, isn't it? Am uh, I confused? I may be told. I don't know. Okay. That's a, that's a good start. Do you have any, like, pictures in your mind of modern day ska? None? <laughs> No, None at all. I don't think I do. You even do. know that it exists as a musical genre? I mean, like I know some songs sound a little sky-y, but I don't even know how to describe that. I don't think. Do you have any subcultures that you would associate it with? I mean, are they stoners? Punk. <laughs> I would say punks. Yeah, let's go with you, Marcus. What is your what is what are your general impressions well, of? I think ska? ska was a little bit more popular for like my generation, perhaps. I'm you too know, old for it. Was ska. really popular. What are some music. like popular? What ways that was it popular? Okay, so my brother was in this into the ska, and I remember hearing about different bands that I tried to avoid. Yeah, I'm a little confused by these genres. Sure. What about like Sublime? I no, like sublime. What about like no doubt? Oh yeah, that's a good representative huh. example. What okay. about Mighty Mighty Boss Tones? That's the one I was thinking. Mm. My cousin fucking loved the Mighty Mighty Boss Tones. <laughs> yeah. So I mean, it sounds to me like you guys have a little bit more familiarity with ska, specifically third wave ska, than you knew. Hmm. How about it? Awesome. So we'll go back in time. Ska actually originated in. Jamaica, like 1950s, early okay. 1960s. So this okay. is where the first wave of ska begins. So like in 1957, bauxite, which is a, is a mineral that's rich throughout Jamaica and is used to make aluminum. So the capitalists come in and they're like, we need all your bauxite. And so people started selling off their land to these mining companies. And so then people now were displaced. So like native Jamaicans started had to start moving out of the countryside and into the cities. Well, they didn't have the skills. So they're getting these low wage jobs. They're living in impoverished neighborhoods. It's just really difficult. So the ska music is, it's kind of born out of this time of economic hardship. Ska has always been kind of a working class music. 
all of this poverty, it led to like civil unrest and it was it was manifested in the music. So back in Jamaica, post-World War II, it's just like the, the landscape of the country is changing. It's still a British colony, but there are like improvements in radio frequencies and radio wavelengths. And so now people in Jamaica, um, they're able to start getting these American sounds. So you have jazz and you have rhythm and blues. And so natively they have what's called Caribbean men also calypso music so you have like the style of like native music and now it's starting to be combined with american jazz and the rhythm and blues and out of this birthed ska and so ska music um there are some very particular guidelines based on beats and off beats and bass lines and drums and all of these things that i Find very confusing because I'm not a musician. I'm just going to ask you, Marcus, to play the first tab. This will just kind of give you a little bit of an example. All right. And who are we listening to? This right here is Toots and the Maytals. And you're going to maybe recognize this song, 5446 was my number, because it was also a song that Sublime covered. So I chose this song because it was one that people might be familiar with. And when did this come out? This is from 1968. So this is later ska, but it's kind of an example of Jamaican ska. And here we go. So you can hear like that rhythm, that like upbeat, that's kind of a little bit offbeat. That's really typical of Jamaican ska from this time period. So ska was like really big. It became Jamaica's music. And so um, ska sound, like ska itself before it kind of transformed into rock study and then into reggae it had a pretty short like just through the 1960s it had a pretty short lifespan um so but an important one it was, but this it was. was the first wave it was the right? first wave so this first wave of scott 1960s was just a it was a musical outlet for all of these things that were really difficult in the country so it's like you have some people and they are getting very wealthy on the country of Jamaica, and then you have a lot of people who are affected really poorly. And then there's crime, and then the Rude Boys. Have you guys heard of Rude Boys? I've heard of the heard Rude of Boys. Them. So, like, Rude Boys, it's definitely something that was co opted by like the British later. But Rude Boys back in Jamaica, the like OG Rude Boys, they were like kind of like street gangs, and like there was like dance halls all over Jamaica, and the like dance hall people who would hire Rude Boys to go and cause mayhem in their like competitors' dance halls, and um, huh. Yeah, it was like this whole like crazy thing, but they like dressed really nicely and they dressed like in sharp suits and like nice hats and then like went off and caused mayhem. Um, <laughs> but like this rude boy culture actually kind of hastened the demise of the first wave of ska because, you know, you have these darker elements mm. now incorporating into the music and rude boy music and then um then you kind of get along to reggae and that's just a little bit slower it's not quite as upbeat and punchy as ska is and ska in jamaica now i think reggae is pretty much like the dominant becomes the dominant music style okay um so then second wave of ska also has its roots in Jamaica, but in Jamaican immigrants who have now moved on to the UK. So post-World War II, the UK is struggling for uh, workers. They have, they've probably lost a fuck ton of their workforce to World War II. 
So as these Jamaicans are moving out of Jamaica, they're taking their music with them, and they're moving into these more working class areas. Oh. And so then, um, you know, you have, a, again, we're like 1960s, 1970s, um, in the UK is when there's this rise in punk music. So they're playing ska, but like you have these counterculture British people who are also working class, like the mods, what do you mm-hmm. think? like yeah. the mod culture, like that's really big. And the mod culture really took to ska music, huh. of the, like the Jamaican ska music. So then you have this mishmash of like British mods and Jamaican immigrants and they're all work- living in these working class neighborhoods um, and they, they're like sharing ideas and sharing musical styles and just a few things about the mods. They were idealists. They expressed their progressiveness through fashion. They were all, same thing, middle class white kids. Um, a lot of their families got rich after World War II or became well off after World War II but like kind of still stayed in their working class areas. Drove around on Vespas. <laughs> they were like uh, precursors to hipsters is what I imagine. Got it. Um, and so like you kind of got like punk rock going on. You got the mods. You got the Jamaican ska. And a lot of um, like at the time, punk music was kind of starting out and like punk culture was not very widespread. And so like if you wanted to go listen to punk music, you'd go to a club. And these clubs, they would just kind of play a lot of different types of music. And punks would hear the ska music. And there's this one guy, Jerry Damer. He was from Coventry in England. And that that is a place where a lot of Jamaicans had settled. He basically started the second wave of ska. Jerry Damer started a band called The Specials. So then the specials, they just really kind of hit it off. Like, they started playing bigger and bigger oh, specials clubs. specials are legit. Yeah, yeah, I've heard of them. And the specials are, like, they are the epitome of the second wave of ska. They started a record label called Two-Tone Records. And basically, that's all of the bands that they signed. It's also referred to as, like, Two-Tone Ska. It is also called the post-punk ska revival because you have a little bit of punk, you have a little bit of ska, not quite as much as once you get to the third wave. But that is a like, mouthful of a genre of music. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Post-punk ska revival. Yeah. Yeah, yeah so they, yeah. they really like brought ska music to like the UK like popular music culture. Yeah, you can go ahead and play it. We do have a song here. This is Message to You, Rudy, by The Specials. I do believe that Sublime also covered this song. <laughs> I feel like I have like a mission that I need to dispel. Almost everything they played was a, a cover. cover. Yeah. That's funny. That's really fun. So you can hear there's like more horns, but it still has that upbeat ska, like Jamaican ska to it. Um, Very political, lots of commentary. At this point in time, there's a lot of racial tension in the UK. There's a lot of um, like workers issues that people are fighting against. And so things were like kind of dark in the UK at this time. But this music was so upbeat and it could send a political message, but in this upbeat, fun kind of way. So it just really kind of took off and everybody was super into it. But like, once again, like it kind of just petered out pretty quickly. Mm. And by by 1985, Jeffrey Dahmer was broke and the second wave was over. Wow. So like 1977 and 
1985, huh? It's like all these waves of ska, they like come and then they go. And this is just kind of what ska does. Ska comes up, gets popular, goes underground. Then comes up, gets popular, goes underground. And so ska again, goes underground. And then third wave ska, we're hopping across the pond. Fucking rocket ship. United States. So the United States, um, first you have a band called The Toasters. They're in New York. And we have a guy from England who brought it over to New York and started this band in Boston. Um, did you know that Boston has more institutions of higher learning than any other city in the United States? Makes sense. It does. So one thing that a city full of uh, higher institutions of higher education has, a lot of bars. And what a lot of bars need is live music. And so, like, Boston and New York, that whole East Coast area, really helped get the third wave of ska started in the United States because you have you had the toasters. They went up and started playing in Boston. And then you had some kids who heard it and really liked it. They formed the Mighty Mighty Boss Tones. And so then you just have Fuck. this third wave of ska. I love that name for a band, too, the Mighty Toasters. Mi- the Toasters, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So the Toasters, they sounded quite... They were kind of like a transition. They sounded very transitional from um, UK ska to United States ska, uh, United States ska, and then the Mighty Mighty Boss Tones took it another level because they were really into um, like harder music, like ACDC, like harder mm. music and hardcore punk music. So they took their like hardcore punk and added some ska elements to it, and they called it ska core. Ska core. <laughs> I like ska that. Ska core. So that's kind of what def- that sound of ska core, which is like punk and ska mixed together really defines third wave ska. And so then you have that happening over here in the East Coast. And then you kind of do a tiny little like loop through the Midwest, Detroit, Michigan area. And then you kind of head on over to California. And then California is where that shit blew up. (laughs) Um, There was a radio program out in like the Orange County, Anaheim area called Ska Parade. In the 1990s, and they played like classic ska, first and second wave ska, and then they were also giving radio time to like newer bands. So you've got like the Toasters and the Boss Tones, but then you also have like Rancid. I think we've all heard of Rancid, of course. right? Yeah, Real Big Fish. Um, they, Real Big Fish. Yeah. Yep. They also started like issuing CD compilations that their listeners could buy. So not mm. only are they listening to this music program, they can now buy these CDs, and it just influenced a whole new wave of musicians and bands. And you already have, like, this counterculture kind of punk, like, subculture in California anyways of the 1990s. And so then you have, um, like, Sublime. They were third wave ska. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> great. Um, and funny thing about Sublime is that they did so many covers. So there may be more ska out there that you like. Right. That you know, Sublime helped popularize in your mind for you. Yeah. Biggest third wave ska band, no doubt. I think no doubt, no doubt is maybe the biggest. That's like, so funny. Their um, their one album, Tragic Kingdom, yeah. sold like 17 million copies or something. I didn't realize that was ska, mm-hmm. but that totally makes sense now that you say it that's funny it must have been their first album because i feel like they broke like really poppy 
later, right? Okay, so you'd be surprised. So, like, they actually formed in 1986. And it was, like, Gwen Stefani and her brother and, like, some other people. And then her, like, brother left to go work as an animator. And then they got signed by a major record label. And they they put out an album, like, 1992 that didn't really do that well. And, like, this record labels like we got these this fucking band but they can't seem to like get it together so they put put them together with a producer and like a some guy who already worked for them or whatever and then he's the one who helped them make their breakout hit album but he probably just helped refine their music and make it more palatable to you know the the general public um you know that's all it is like music is marketing right right yeah. Um, so then, you know, that that became super popular. By the end of the 1990s, people were done. Ska, like, <laughs> mainstream music was done with ska. People get sick of it fast. Yeah, they sure do. So then it went back underground. Um, and that's kind of where it stays today. I did have you pull up um, just a Sublime song, and then I've got another third wave band to play, too. So Sublime, that's the fourth tab, and that would be 47 seconds. Okay. Here we go. Hold on, let me get a joint. <laughs> so that's uh, Sublime, Bad Fish. You can hear that uh, ska, that Jamaican ska beat to it, but that like doesn't have all those horns that Second Wave did necessarily. Oh, maybe that's why I liked Sublime. There's mm. not nearly as many horns in Sublime. Play that other tab that you asked. This is also another Third Wave ska band, Mustard Plug. They're from, I think, Grand Rapids, Michigan. So they're more Midwestern, and they're probably a little bit more on like that early end of third wave ska. And what time on this one? Uh, 44 seconds. This is actually one of my favorite songs by them. They say that they knew. I can't believe it. What has happened to you? I think you give me a clue. Why they said it was you. I can't accept it. Tell me it's not true. I really so, like that. I, that's like actually my favorite song about them, <laughs> by them. Um, anyway, so you can see in there, you can see that mashup of the punk and the ska. Can you guys hear yeah, that totally. mashup of yeah. the p- punk and the ska? Yeah. So yeah, so that is the, the ska core. So that was uh, Mustard Plug, Mr. Smiley, their song, Mr. Smiley. Yeah, so those are just some examples. I, I think you guys could probably kind of hear the differences and the evolution of how we went from first wave ska to yeah. second to third wave. Yeah. Um, and nowadays, ska's just kind of gone back underground, um, kind of where I think it should stay. Is <laughs> not for any reason, but it's like, I think that, you know, when you're when you're signed to a major record label and now you have to follow major record label guidelines and you have to follow their sound like suggestions and their lyrical suggestions. It's like to me, like punk and ska, their roots are in like anti-establishment, speaking out against injustice, um, fighting for workers' rights and against, you know, for racial equality and gender equality. And when you're now doing it just for the sake of making money or to sell albums, you really lose like what's at the heart of these styles of music and what they were created for. So it sounds like it just kind of bubbles up when it needs to. And then it just fades away. To me, it seems like it just kind of bubbles up when there's like somebody who wants to exploit that type of music because they're (laughs) like, Oh, this is making money. And then like, like all things in mainstream popular culture, they have their heyday and then they fade away. And no. so ska has not actually gone anywhere. It's still there. It's just not played on the radio like it was before. I 
like this music because it's just so catchy. It is, yeah. It's catchy, it's upbeat, it's fun. And that's the thing about ska music is it's catchy, it's upbeat, and it's fun. But, like, nobody wants to be, like, bummed out, you know, like, listening to these songs about politics and all of these causes that need to be fought for. So it's like you put, you can make these causes kind of fun and you can make it, put it to some fun music. I like that. Like, you don't have to always, like, even though you might be angry about something, you don't have to always feel angry, angry about it, <laughs> you know? Like, why not? Yeah. Why, why do you always have to feel angry? Yeah, it's fine. Yeah, like, let's direct that anger towards, yeah, something good. It's I kind like of that. like you think about, like, the 1960s, like, political folk music. It's not angry sounding, but it had it carries a weighty message. It's kind of the same thing here. You've got a weighty message, but it's... You know, with a fun sound. Yeah, way more fun than 60s folk, actually. Yeah. <laughs> Much more upbeat. You're going to get your house cleaned to some ska music. I just want to say that if you're listening, I'm going to put down a, a playlist for this episode. Oh, fun. Yeah, so I'll put together a little playlist. And if you have any ska songs of the first, second, or third waves that you'd like to add to our little playlist, let me know. I am going to listen to that mix all day at work on Monday. I bet they play third wave ska in some of those third wave coffee shops. I'm sure of it. I'm positive of it. Yeah. We're going to get into like the definition of what makes up third wave. But I think a lot of the similarities to third wave of feminism, there's actually a lot of similarities to like the splintering of the coffee movement in third wave coffee. But to understand it, we're going to have to go back to the beginning um, and understand the first wave of coffee. Is that in the beard? That is my beard. No, (laughs) Baba. Baba Budan. Thank you. (laughs) No, they look at that the first wave of coffee um, as really that first wave of American coffee consumerism of coffee, and that was just getting coffee in people's mouths. (laughs) Like they didn't care about quality as much, right? So think about Folgers. Think about Maxwell House and think about how the coffee was brewed back then. Predominantly percolator. Right. Served at diners. Free coffee refills a lot of times. Just cheap, right? Like, get the coffee. We don't care about how it's made. We don't care about any slave. Like, we don't care about traceability, much less where the coffee came from. Just getting the coffee to be consumed. Chock full of nuts. Chock full of nuts. Right. Water it down. Oh, can I say? Five cents a cup. Do you watch Marvelous Mrs. Maisel? No. Sorry. Are you fucking oh kidding me? Oh my gosh, me? sorry. <laughs> you have never seen it? I've never seen it. Okay, if there was ever a show on the face of this planet that I would think that you would enjoy, it's Marvelous Mrs. Maisel. I'm looking for a new show to watch. Start so it I'm ready. when you get home. Okay. Immediately. Okay. <laughs> sorry. I can't believe you're not watching it. That's really funny. Anyways. Yeah. Um, they, it's set in New York, like 1950s, mm. and they had chock full of nuts. She was walking down the street. She went, walked right by a chock full of nuts. Awesome. And I wanted to text you guys, but apparently it would have been worthless. <laughs> yeah. Anyways. So I'm not going to bore you guys with that, but it's a big giant company selling big giant coffee, right? That's what first wave coffee was. Second wave coffee, um, was a pushback. How long did the first wave that, last? From the twenties to the sixties to the late sixties. Um, and there's some debate and the longer these waves go on, there's like more and more opinions on like what exactly third wave is and what exactly second wave is. So there's still some debate, but most people generally agree that coffee changed in 1968 when Pete's like Pete's coffee Uh. and tea 
opened his first cafe in Berkeley, California, and he really cared about quality in coffee. And um, there was some, this is where like the argument comes in is like some of the beatnik cafes, like people were serving espresso drinks like pre-1960, but it was really like the Pete's Cafe that started making like proper Italian like espresso drinks and starting to care about the quality and the sourcing of coffee. And Pete's actually influenced Howard Schultz. For those who don't know. That's the CEO, former, then previous, now current former CEO again <laughs> of Starbucks. He's the one who started Starbucks? He was not the one that started Starbucks, but he's the one that really made Starbucks what it is today. Mm, it okay. was this little cafe. He joined forces and then was like, boom, expansion. He was a rainmaker. Yeah. He making it rain. And he tried it, tried Pete's, and was like, this is the model that we need to do. So a lot of people credit Pete's as starting it. And Starbucks sort of following through in that whole expansion of like, we start to care about quality. We're starting to care about where the coffee is coming from, how it's produced. Like that is what generally people accept as like second wave of coffee. It's like an elevated coffee drinking experience. Correct. Like you think like when Starbucks first started popping up, it was like, kind of fancy to go into a Starbucks. It was kind of like higher end. Well, it was a little crazy to spend three or four dollars on a cup of coffee when that first because it was still 95 cents and free refills a lot of places. Yeah, right. Exactly. And wasn't right. Starbucks uh, kind of like the first coffee shop that you would go into? Like before, wasn't it like you'd get your coffee at a diner right. that's it. or a restaurant? Starbucks was like a standalone deal. And that's why it's like this monumental shift away from like cheap you know, p- p- poorly brewed coffee to something, an, an experience. Yeah. Right. And people started to care about quality. So yeah, that was, that was the, the, the second wave. Um, and you said that sixties and seventies. It's funny that the waves with feminism and coffee are lining up mm-hmm. time-wise. Yeah. And I think that Maybe that's Maybe the women like, just needed more caffeination to keep going on <laughs> with the fight. So really we could blame Howard Schultz for, um, feminism? Is that what you're saying? <laughs> no. Is that his fault? We cannot blame or credit <laughs> Howard Schultz for feminism. <laughs> um, Specialty Coffee Association started in 1982. Um, Is that late? Yeah. Because you, you figure like 1979 was like when all the So maybe this is what's happening. Maybe you've got like 1979, you've got all the pioneers of specialty coffee like starting their deal. And then maybe that's what you have enough pioneers of specialty coffee that they needed to form an association. Because you figure you have Victor Allen, you have George Howell, you have um, Stephen Brew Guy, like all of these people are doing specialty coffee 1979. It's like basically it was like the year. Yeah. And that's what's interesting is that that forum, that sort of open forum for all of these different people that cared about coffee got together and determined what specialty coffee was, which was like on the grading scale. They wanted to make it a quantifiable number. So out of 100, coffees between 80 and above would just be qualified as specialty coffee. And that's on a Q grading scale, right? That's on the Specialty Coffee Association scale. Q grading came later. Oh, but wasn't Q grading to like align with their specialty coffee scale? Well, so Q grading um, came later to make it more 
to like standardize objective, right? Standardized because oh. there is a there's a certain element of like subjectivity of like acidity and this and that and like specialty grading that people are like your 84 might not be my 84, you know, but the idea with Q grading is that it's like everybody agrees that this is an 80 and, and, you know, it should like every Q grader should all come to the same score. Okay. It's to remove some of that variability of the subjectivity. Um, but that forum arguably, in my opinion, so again, this is where it gets really fucking splintered because people in the, in the coffee industry are like, well, no, it was intelligentsia or it was counterculture. And it was, it was, um, there's a third one stump town, right? Mm. These were the guys that really pioneered like direct trade relationships and really the nitty gritty of specialty coffee. But there was just so many actors in the space of specialty coffee at that time that I think it was a little bit more like, like spread out. Like it was also George Howell. It was also people like Victor Allen that really cared. Hey, wait, I want to say Victor Mondry. Victor Mondry. Yeah. Allen. Um, and, and just this like attention to not just roasted coffee, not just brewed coffee, but like how is the coffee produced? How is it transported? How, like this whole chain, supply chain mm-hmm. that people started to care about and transparency and visibility, like that is defined, that's like the definition of third wave coffee. And I think that I read an article in Daily Coffee Grind or Perfect Daily Grind, I think it is. It was like the the appreciation for the quality, like that defined third wave so you had like people that didn't give a fuck. They just get coffee in people's mouths. Then you had people starting to like, like just highlight quality. And then now it's like the act of appreciating the monumental effort that goes into getting the perfect cup of coffee. That is the third wave coffee idea. I love the idea. And I wish we could apply that to everything that we consume. Mm-hmm. and understand where it came from and went into it. I think that's really cool. It does seem like there is a little bit of a movement, or at least there was through, like, the 2010s. Like, I feel like that, like, farm to table mm-hmm. and, you know, like, locally brewed beers. And yeah. we, we had, like, a real focus on that, yeah, in the 2010s when everybody was enraged about Monsanto. Right. Now, does anybody give a shit? I'm what still mad at here? Monsanto. I'm still mad at Monsanto, too. But yeah. does, like, anybody else care? Like, if we asked our kids, hey, what do you, how do you feel about Monsanto? Are we, like, is that is that third wave of food kind of? <laughs> Have we dropped the ball on not teaching our kids to hate Monsanto? Perhaps. <laughs> we should We should go tell. We well, is Monsanto on... owned by Bayer now, anyways? Bayer, yeah. Bayer? Yeah, Fuck it. You know what? They still exist. Fuck aspirin. They exist in... Um... <laughs> oh, it's a pharmaceutical company? Oh, yeah. that makes it way better now. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, Let's go put on food ink for those kids upstairs. But this time, though... Like, Talk that's about a scary a movie. movie. <laughs> this time changed, though, everything, because you had the traditional, like... So if you think of the shift from percolator to drip to drip and espresso as, like, second wave, then the shift from drip and espresso to, like new innovative ways of brewing coffee like pour overs manual pour overs really wasn't a thing at starbucks or pete's um Mm -hmm. where you can go into specialty coffee shops now and they do that siphon filters like all these sort of like newfangled ways of extracting more flavor out of coffee that's part of the third wave movement too it seems like kind of like there's like a little bit more of like an artistic flair to coffee nowadays 
Yeah. Like create like a creative flair, I should say. Like yeah. how can we get creative with our brew methods? So like the more creative you can get, like the more you can enhance the the terroir. Is that mm. how I the, did I say that right? Yeah, the terroir. 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 But I thought it was interesting reading this article, like the whole idea, and these are all like marketing. Like these are just mark like ways to market coffee, which like kind of makes me annoyed. Um, <laughs> as like a like anti-capitalist or whatever. Um, and it's like the whole, this article was make, made the argument that it's all about making the consumer feel special. Like, oh, we went through this effort to like find the bean and roast it carefully and like prepare it a certain way. And aren't you special because you get to get it. And I think that's fucking disgusting. Marcus has so many fucking strong feelings this morning. It just annoys me. I mean, I I I feel like in a like that's the elitism of of coffee that I don't like. Right? Like you're not appreciating it enough. Mm. Right? You didn't buy the grinder. You didn't weigh it out. You added cream and sugar to this coffee. No. Like, like I think I love the appreciation of of all the effort that goes into coffee and trace it. Like, that's why we do it, right? Like, I'm not, like, saying that that's wrong, but I'm when it gets to the point where it becomes combative, right, and it's like you're not appreciating it the way it should be appreciated, that you push people away. Yeah. You know, it's kind of like the the third wave feminism, feminism of, like, you're not being inclusive. If you want to keep growing and keep doing the good things you need to do, you need to bring more people in. Um and I just feel like they, it it got too complicated. Starbucks second wave coffee arguably is more fucking popular now than ever before. Yeah. Huh. Um, I think that's because of like there's a lot of basic bitches out there though. Right, but you need to attract those basic basic bitches to your camp if Starbucks, you want to like keep growing the wave. I think Starbucks does a great job at marketing. Yeah. For sure. But I think like third wave is definitely like a response to second wave, but I think that there's now another response to third wave of, hey, you don't have to be Starbucks and you also don't have to fucking be so exclusionary. I think that whole like culture of you know it's like when you think of the hipster like somebody who's just like an elitist and you know they're kind of snubbing their nose at people like you know does the chicken did the chicken have a name type uh, (laughs) um type attitude and so i think that there's now maybe a little bit of a backlash against that yeah now uh, like yeah, where I, you're, you're right. I, I feel like I'm seeing more in like specialty coffee shops, like where people are like less snobby, like to just enjoy coffee. I, I think it's an inevitable like end to the third wave is that you have to crash towards the middle because otherwise you just get too exclusionary. It's like too small. It's going to be like Scott. It's just going to like die out. The mainstream doesn't give a shit about fucking, you know, rising up against the fucking capitalist system or whatever. Like the mainstream doesn't care. Yeah. And I think that there's an advantage. So there's a, there's a difference for third wave like practices. I think like quant, like you can say that like third wave coffee, like genuinely tastes better. I think you can give somebody a cup of coffee and then be like, wow, this is really good. And knowing that all the thought and the care and effort to like source it went behind it. Like, 
if people want to go down that path, they can, but you shouldn't have to force feed people to, to make your product valuable. I think it should stand on its own. You know, I just figured out how third wave Scott and third wave um, coffee are connected. Eric, this one's for you. I've done it. <laughs> So, like, you have third wave coffee that's, like, kind of standing up and rising up against, like, the mainstream capitalism of Folgers, Maxwell House, the uh, Starbucks. It's, you know, it's, like, it's seeing these, like, major consumers and producers of coffee and how they're not doing enough um, in the coffee world. And so you have third wave coffee as a, as a response to that to say, like, we care about the farmers' rights. We care about workers' rights. Like but certain elements like, of third wave and traceability. Like you, yeah. Like we can support farmers that are more sustainably growing and producing coffee. Right. And that's like an element, in my opinion, that also makes a better tasting cup of coffee. Mm-hmm. And let me also say too, third wave coffee, you're going to see like third wave coffee is really leading the conversation on racial equality in the United States. Uh, you know, coffee as a, as a gathering place for people is a place where, you know, coffee shops have for a long time been associated with like an exchange of ideas and coffee houses and uh, places for people to come together. And I think third wave coffee is one of the leading voices against all of these injustices for women and for, you know, racial issues. So that's how it all ties back to third wave ska. Good job, Jenny. <laughs> they're they're all like they're all saying they're saying the same thing. Ska and third wave coffee. Yeah, and all I'm saying And supporting is that, third wave feminism. You know, maybe it's okay. Just giving people the opportunity, I think, to like figure it out on their own. Is that the fourth wave that you've got coming? Like we don't give a fuck, just keep it small? Some of these are claiming that we're already in the fourth wave. I think that if you look at innovation and every step along the way, like it's usually like sourcing and some sort of like technique for extracting better flavor. So you go from percolator to drip to, you know, the next thing. And I'm like, I, we have, I, I, I feel like we haven't had enough innovation and extraction to say that we're now like in a fourth wave. If anything, I feel like we're in the continuation of, or, or the, rather the the splintering of the third wave, where you have people that are that are doubling down on like, oh no, you need to appreciate it a certain way. And then you have more people that are kind of breaking towards the center back almost like to second, you know, second wave where it's like, you know, maybe all the detail and all that stuff, like it's there if you want it, right? Like... I do that because I think it makes a better quality cup of coffee. But does that mean that like you have to appreciate that? No, I think that like I actually interviewed a customer way back in the day and he was like, look, I don't have enough time to research and find out and make sure that all my coffee comes from like sustainably sourced. He's like, but I buy from you because I know that you do, you care. Mm -hmm. Right. And so so to me, I think that that's really like indicative of like where I think the American consumer is. It's like there's just too much shit to go out there and research, right? Nobody's got enough time to do it all. So let's maybe try and meet people where they are and just give them something better. And then when they're like, why does this taste better? Then you can mm-hmm. open the door and say, here's why. That's, that's my opinion. So is that the fourth wave? I don't know. 
um, the, this, this article was talking about like fourth wave being like even more attention to detail. Like what was the soil conditions on the ground? Like what types of variety separation? And it's all shit that I'm into like big time. Like I really like varieties and understanding elevation and understanding the microclimates that make coffee a certain way. So, you know, that's cool for you and the other like one tenth of 1% of coffee drinkers, yeah. right? right? It's so detailed. Right. But do you need to know that? Or you just want to say like, wow, this tastes good. Yeah. Well, why does it taste good? It's because it's, you know, it's, it was handpicked by, you know, uh, on, on the third solar eclipse, you know, whatever, <laughs> right, you know, right. it's like, but you know, but if you, if you just come at people with all that, it's too much in my opinion, yeah. you know, you scare them away. I think you need to make coffee accessible and I think you need to make feminism accessible. And I think that the argument could be made that ska could be more accessible <laughs> or maybe I could be more accessible at ska. <laughs> you know, it's not like you have so many customers in the third wave coffee that, that like you can't bring more in. Right. You know? <laughs> um, and then that's, so I, I almost see, like I said, more people being scared from third wave coffee because they're like, oh, it's too intimidating, right? There's too much to keep track of. I got to weigh it. I got to grind it. I got to get a timer. I got to fucking, you know, it's like, no, just start with better beans, right? Yeah. Like maybe just start there. And then if you want to go down the rabbit hole, like there's plenty for you to go down, but don't be like, all right, if you want to get a good cup of coffee, I need you to have a thousand dollars of investment up front before <laughs> you even fucking start brewing one cup. Like, I, I just think that it's it's not a sustainable path. Yeah, I think it is. That's what I always tell people, too. I'm like, well, it's it's about really just having good coffee to begin with. Like, whatever you do after that, you're going to enjoy it. Like, if you're going to – if you want to make one change to your coffee routine, just get better beans. Yeah. Um, fresher. Fresher right? beans and ground freshly makes such a difference. Yeah. But even so, like, I would say, like, a Folgers – like roasted and ground in February versus like say our coffee roasted and ground in February, our right. coffee's still gonna be better. Yeah. You know, because we're starting with higher quality beans to begin with. Yeah. You just gotta start with a better bean. Yeah, you're right. Yeah. So I mean I'll get off. I get a little like amped up about this, but that's kinda how I feel. I feel like by and large the the average person just doesn't give a fuck. You know, they want to get caffeine, they want to get coffee, but then when they try it and they're like, why does this taste better? Mm -hmm. That's where you have an opportunity to like educate and then bring somebody over to like your side. Yeah. But you can't come out guns blazing. Right. <laughs> All right. Do you think third wave water is going to bring anything? We're about to... This is exactly what I'm talking about. Like, this is... So my, I know. my skepticism here is another thing where it's like, oh, okay, so not only do you now have to invest in a grinder and a, and all this other... You've got a $1,000 investment, but now your water's wrong, too. <laughs> let me show... Let me sell you another reason why you're doing it wrong, you know? And then you wonder why the industry, you know, has trouble keeping people... Uh, you know, yep. <laughs> like, keep expanding, <laughs> you know? Um and why more specialty independent coffee shops are going out of business and why more Starbucks are opening than ever, you know. But, hey, maybe I'm wrong. <laughs> okay, so first of all, we'll just say what third wave water is. Do you want to say, shall we brew some coffee? Shall we brew some coffee? Okay. <laughs> Modest Coffee roasts the highest quality single-origin coffees without the snobbery. 
They take the guesswork out of buying specialty coffee by carefully curating green coffees and sorting them to one of their tiers, based on cupping score, price, flavor notes, and roast level. Go to www.modest.coffee forward slash no bad reviews to see what they're roasting today. Pip pip cheerio! And we're back with two pots of coffee. So what we're doing right now today is we have third wave water. For those of you who don't know, third wave water is a, it's a little packet of minerals and you're supposed to add it to your water. Actually, you're supposed to add it to a gallon of either distilled or reverse osmosis water. Oh, geez. Uh Uh-huh. So you're supposed to add it to that and it's supposed to make your coffee taste better. Um, we have, we're trying the, the, they have a few different profiles. They've got one for espresso, one for dark, and then they're classic, like with different mineral compositions. This is fascinating. Yeah. So we have the classic <laughs> profile and that contains magnesium, calcium, and sodium. Okay. So we brewed the same coffee. We brewed it on the same brewer. We have two technivorms. Which I feel like a total fucking like <laughs> snob saying. We have seventeen thousand dollars worth of coffee brewing equipment in our kitchen right now. You're doing it wrong, guys. Yeah. <laughs> and we brewed them at the exit. We started them at basically the same time, same amount of coffee. One is made with tap water from our house, and one is made with distilled water with third wave water added to it. The classic profile. I'm trying to find out what the mineral composition is of third wave water. It's probably a trade secret. I wanted to compare it to the mineral content of my tap water, which I looked up. Yeah. I'm uniquely qualified here. To rant. To rant. Um, But I actually did a a demonstration, a water demonstration at CoffeeCon three years ago. Um, So I had a class of people. And we tried... Just regular tap water, and we tried distilled water, and we tried um, drinking water, like all three of them, to see what difference is. Same coffee, same thing, same thing we're doing here right now. Mm-hmm. And we discovered that distilled water, because it's got nothing in it, it pulls too much of the uh, of the dissolvable solids out of coffee, and it makes it really acidic. It's like it pulls too much out. Interesting. That's not what I thought you were going to say. Of the coffee. Yeah. Huh. And then the tap water um, muted the coffee just a little bit. Like there was too many solids in the tap water. And then the drinking water, which was like just filtered more tap water. Was like, like filtered tap water through like a carbon filter? Yeah, right. Was like the best, right? Okay. Um, that's kind of what we experienced. Was that time. in the city of Chicago, though? Or was yeah. that in Warrenville? That was in Warrenville. but Warrenville, I think, has hard water though too so they might have a higher mineral content mm. to their water because I, I looked up mineral contents of waters like and i saw something that compared through different municipalities around here aurora has a has very not hard water uh-huh. we have like a i think it was like a on the scale we were like an eight or no, we were a seven. City of Chicago was an eight, which we also know doesn't have hard water. But then you go like some other town around here was like a twenty-two. Yeah. So like there's a wide range in hardness. So that I think makes a big difference for sure. So I do think that there is some credence to like, you know, adding minerals to distilled water. Okay. Um, but I'm skeptical on like how much it's actually gonna make. Like, is it gonna turn up? turn the coffee and be like, wow, this is the fucking, you know what I'm saying? Like it's going to make a substantial enough difference. Cause how much did this cost Jenny? 
Okay, so this cost us nothing because we got a free sample of it <laughs> okay. at, at Coffee Fest. But if you were to buy third wave water, you would pay $17 for enough to make 12 gallons. Okay. Uh, so that is over a dollar per gallon, yeah, which is kind of expensive. And they say you have to start with either distilled water or reverse osmosis water. So you're going to either have to buy, you're either going to have to have a reverse osmosis system. Not a lot of people do, but some do. Or you're going to have to go to the store and spend like a buck on a gallon. Right. Every time. Forever. Every time. And so is it going to make a big enough difference to be like, oh, that totally is worth it to now spend two fifty a gallon for my water? Uh-huh. We'll find out. Now, I have a lot of friends that brew beer, and I know that treating water for the beer that you're brewing is like par for the course. Like okay. absolutely, they add minerals and, and things to like do the water treatments to brew the style of beer that they're trying to brew. Interesting. So I think that there is some like plausible like – science behind it but in actuality i'm very skeptical of it making like that much of a difference so we'll find out i want to point out that the city of aurora wins for best tasting water in the state of illinois like every year so we're starting with a better quality water than the average right yeah so this is what my thing is about third wave water you have to start with completely demineralized water and then add their minerals back in, which seems so like gimmicky to me. Right. They're like, well, you need minerals in your water. Just start out with demineralized water and then add our minerals to it. But don't use your tap water because that already has minerals. You know what I mean? The wrong minerals. The wrong minerals. Right. I also think that there is a place for it, perhaps, if you live someplace where you're on well water, for mm-hmm. example. Mm-hmm. And or if you yeah, and you already have a reverse osmosis system in your house and you want to add the minerals back in. So that's a thing. Now on the flip side to it, like if you have to go buy distilled water, I think from my test, like just go buy drinking water and then you know, you don't need to spend more money. Yeah, exactly. Um, that's the other thing. Or spring water, if spring water is gonna have minerals right, in it. Right. Okay. So we'll they, find out. That's the thing, yeah, Shall exactly. Shall we taste some coffee, Jenny? Sure. Okay, so the No Bad Reviews mug has the third wave third water. Wave water okay. And then the random mugs have regular tap water. And we're drinking the modest coffee blend of the day that Marcus and Jenny are bringing like, home. Yeah, whatever <laughs> coffee ends up in our, okay, in so our I'm gonna, pile of coffee. I'm going to confess to people, I don't like having a bunch of bags of coffee sitting around in like states of openness and half emptied. It annoys the shit out of me. So what I usually do is I just, when I bring a bag home, usually it's like an old bag that's like didn't sell. And because I can't just let anything go, I just cut that bag open and I dump it in my container. So we drink. And then we drink. The and old then I bring there. another old bag home and I cut it open and I dump it in the container. And whatever we drink is an amalgamation of those coffees. That's what I drink on a daily basis. Yeah. We do bring home coffees, like, and we try them, like when we have a new coffee, try those. But mm. that's not like what we typically drink. So this is hopefully, we think, <laughs> we just tried skimming off the top so it would all be the same bean because it's layered. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Hopefully we're comparing apples to apples here. Right. Is what I'm saying. First cup. I like this. I think it tastes good. I like, it's like... Marcus is like, I like my coffee with my tap water. This might be the best coffee we've ever tasted on the podcast, guys. <laughs> 
<laughs> You're not supposed to be self-promoting here. I'm not. I'm That's like, actually I'm true. Being true. <laughs> <laughs> Have we ever had our coffee on the podcast? No. Except for that time you roasted up some decaf samples, but that didn't right. really count. Yeah. Oh, God, that's funny. That wasn't... This is pretty funny. Huh. Yeah. All right, well, we're going to see. Can third wave water make your coffee better? Oh, I'm we're excited. We're going to find out right now. Out. Yeah, so this first one, I'm chugging it. It's, like, really tasty. I'm enjoying it. I want to um, say that is... That's just tap water. That's just tap water. I was just trying yeah. to remember what coffee it was, but I don't remember. Oh, yeah, I was trying to guess what coffee it was. That's funny. Yeah. All right. It tastes, it tastes a little... Little fruity, but also a little like maybe earthy, like Brazil and old collector mix. <laughs> hmm. Having them in different mugs, though, like they've cooled at a different rate. Wow. I mean, they taste extremely similar. <laughs> <laughs> Who could have thought? I like maybe, maybe I just took a sip of it. Maybe there's a little more acidity um, in the third wave water. And maybe the clarity is a little like better. Well, here's the thing. They say, I think that the third wave water <gasps> maybe has a tiny bit less bitterness. Oh, that's interesting. Like it smooths it out a little, but that could also be the power of suggestion because I know that they say if you want your to counteract the bitterness, you add a little pinch of salt to your coffee, mm. and this has sodium in it. Mm. So am I? Is it the power of suggestion? Well, sodium in this water too, probably the same amount of the tap water. Well, that would be nice if third wave water were a little bit more transparent about their mineral content. I don't. I I I like the third wave one better, but I don't know why. <laughs> like it might literally just be the mug itself. <laughs> Is it possible that it's power of suggestion? Totally. Like we're trying, we're like told that it should taste better. So we're like, does this taste better? Yeah. Maybe it tastes better. So I. It does taste, super, it does taste more acidic. Yeah. Yeah. You know what? I just got that acidity. With my like super palate, you know, because I've got a pretty good palate. Um, I do feel like. It is uh, the clarity on this coffee is better. Like it feels on the more, third wave. Yeah, on the third wave, it feels more defined. Like the the flavor of the of the tap water is a little muddled, in my opinion, compared mm. to like the third wave. So I feel like I get a little bit more clarity on that, and I get a little bit more acidity on that. Um, uh, and so. Yes, I feel like maybe it's a little bit better of a cup of coffee. Could it be, though? I think that it's necessarily worth it. Well, let me say this, too, though. Like, I just took it straight from the tap because I wanted to compare tap water. I didn't take, like, filtered tap water from the refrigerator or whatever. Yeah, so. so that, I think, could also make a big difference is if we had taken actual. But you know what? That thing fucking dispenses water so slow. I don't have time for that. No. I don't have time to, like, stand there holding the coffee pot underneath the thing until it fills i think tap water is the way to go i think it's good to see the difference i brew coffee with tap water every day i feel like the tap water one has just like a tiny hint of sourness and that is why i'm going for the third wave water but is it possible that there's just like a few more collector beans in there yeah right <laughs> like and it that's could. my personal taste more than right quality yeah I yeah. feel like they. I feel like I get what Marcus is saying about the clarity. It just feels a little more like crisp and clean. Yeah. And I know I get what you're saying about the muddled. I taste that too. 
but only when you compare them side by side. Mm-hmm. Like if we're assuming that the beans are the same, yeah, and just trying. I'm them, pretty sure the beans are the same. You know, so assuming that the the beans are not the variable, mm-hmm. then we would have to say, okay, well, the water, you know, is the only thing that was different. But you know, is it noticeable enough? That you would be like, okay. Marcus is okay. like, I cannot You know do what this. I should do? This is what I want to do. Give me your two mugs. You close your eyes. I'm going to twist them up, and then we'll see. Can you tell which one is which? Yeah, I'll be able okay. to. Well, okay, this is what we're going to do. Put it down and close your eyes, and don't look. Just hold them in your hands and take a sip of no. each, one from each, and then tell me which is which. He can't hold them in his hands. You're going to have to I'm gonna feed know. him that. Oh, He's how about this? I will, pour one of, I will pour my No Bad Reviews mug into my other mug, and then I'll pour his into the <laughs> No Bad Reviews. But, Steph, we have to remember. You and I have to remember <laughs> okay. which is which. Okay. Okay. Marcus, close your eyes. It's time okay. for you to just... Go off into closed eyes land. <laughs> okay. Oh, so fun. <sighs> we should be playing more games with Marcus's super palette. <laughs> I did a tasting with uh, uh, like a director of coffee at Ely. Um, and they, they had like four different coffees. And they were like, t- like try it blind and try it with your eyes open and then try it blind and tell us which coffee was which. 100% right. <laughs> and they were all pretty similar. Oh my gosh. And my friend Paul from the Blue Goose, former Blue Goose, he did the tasting with me uh, and he only got one out of the four correct. Super palate. I know. So and he's impressive. got a good palate too. Not as good as yours. Not as good as mine. It's proven. I want you to um, switch those cups around a little. (laughs) This is like a process. Yeah, we're, you know, it's scientific. Okay. Are my eyes still closed? Or need to be still closed? Um, Yes. It's very imperative that you continue to keep your eyes closed the whole time. You don't have to keep your eyes closed anymore because they're in the same mug, but I wrote, just don't look at the bottoms. I will not look at the bottoms. Okay, there's one. Okay. There's the other. Tap. <laughs> Third wave. Are you sure? Because yes. maybe I gave you two of the same one. <laughs> Try them again. I know. Oh. Try them again. Can you tell the difference? <laughs> Third wave. <laughs> Tastes like tap. You're right. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> there you go. Oh, that's so funny. Good yeah. job, Marcus. <laughs> that's impressive. <laughs> Just got a good memory. <laughs> well, you were supposed to judge based on which one you liked better. Uh, Actually, I don't know what we were. I yeah, don't know what I thought we you were told me to, to figure out what if I could tell the difference. Yeah, that's and true. And yeah, I could. I can. Yeah. I really can. Yeah. That's funny. Well, which so. one did you like better? Should I go swish them up again? So, I mean, again, I don't need to be blindfolded to tell you which one I like better. And I do think I like the the clarity of the third wave water as much as I don't want to admit it. Like, okay, I like it better. Yeah, that's frustrating. You know, it is frustrating. <laughs> right. <laughs> I mean, it is so gimmicky. It is su- it is stupid and frustrating. But do am I about to recommend that you go spend $17 for 12 gallons? 
No. No. I mean, I'm not going to say that it's so much better that it's like, okay, you know what I'm saying? Like to go rush out and buy it. I'm not going to say that it's better, but it's like, it's like, you know, slightly more improved. You might be able to just get there with a better filter on your water, you know? I think it had we filtered the water, it would have been better. Oh. If your options are spend a ton of money on third wave water or spend a ton of money on third wave coffee, you're better off spending the money on the coffee. Thank you. Yes. <laughs> All right. Here, here to that. Thanks, Steph. Yeah. While listening to third wave Scott and contemplating third wave feminism. <laughs> mm-hmm. It's the best way to yeah. appreciate coffee. Yeah. Third wave coffee. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I think I think that's probably it then, right? Are yeah. you sure? It's only been four hours. <laughs> yeah. No, that's um, our episode. Well, thanks, everybody. We'll see what happens. Maybe you got this in two parts all on the same day. Maybe you didn't. I don't know. We'll see what happens. We have been recording for a long time, but um, <laughs> we also did fuck off a lot. So I don't know what's going to make it into the actual episode. Um, this is what happens, I guess, when three friends hang out and try to make a podcast by just recording themselves. It's the power of editing. Good luck with that. Thanks, everybody, for listening. Please tell a friend about our podcast. We would much appreciate it. Also, we have a Facebook group, a discussion group, if you want to join there. We can, you know, you can post something funny. You can see (laughs) something funny that somebody else has posted. Mm -hmm. You can say hi to us. We're there. We are very interactive. It's the best way to get to us personally. That's the power of social media these days. There's a lot that's bad about it, but it's kind of cool that you can... Um, interact with celebrities face to face. And while you're at it, uh, go ahead and follow us on all the social medias at No Bad Reviews Pod, and go vote. Yes, go vote. Thanks, everybody. Thank you for listening to this podcast, generously sponsored by Modest Coffee, purveyors of single-origin coffee without the snobbery. Visit www.modest.coffee forward slash no bad reviews to see what they're roasting today. Enjoy.